Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. I have in the studio with me Drs. Todd Wood and Daryl Falk. Uh, if you heard our previous podcast, you know that we've been having a conversation about their recent book, uh, The Fool and the Heretic. And as I said in the previous podcast, uh, it's a delightful book, and don't let the title uh, put you off. Uh, Neither man is foolish, nor is either man heretical. Uh, But Dr. Wood is a young earth creationist, and Dr. Falk is an evolutionary creationist, And they are also uh, friends who have, over the course of this conversation, uh, developed a bond of of, of friendship and commitment to one another and to the cause of Christ. And so we are delighted to have uh, both men in the studio with us today. Uh, Dr. Falk, glad to have you with us. Good to be here. And and Dr. Wood, glad to have you with us. Thanks for having me. one of the things that is remarkable about the conversation that the two of you are having is that it is a model of principled civility. And I mean both words. It's principled uh, in the sense that you disagree very strongly. It's not that you are, are, are you see eye to eye on on significant scientific issues, you have serious disagreements. So it's principled, and yet you're also civil. You are convinced uh, that each is a brother in Christ and, and, and deserves the respect uh, accordingly. Um, how would, what advice would you give to your listeners about how to interact with each other uh, in the light of our differences? How, how, how would you say, what have you learned spiritually and then we'll move on into some of the content of disagreements. Well, I think one of the most important things that I have had to come to terms with is just getting beyond the sort of high school debate mentality that unfortunately um, governs a lot of the discussion in this area. We. We, we are trying to make points. We're trying to answer all the arguments. We're trying to make arguments that they can't answer. We only listen to people so that we can formulate our response. And it's, it is fundamentally dehumanizing when we do that. We're not, we're not treating each other as human beings, much less as brothers in Christ. And and so to grow beyond the, the, the mentality of I have to keep score and I have to make sure I've answered everything and I have to make sure that he can't answer me and I have to confront him with all this stuff, it's, it's, it's bigger than that. And, and the way I learned that was confronting him with stuff and having him give me answers that were not entirely terrible and then finding myself having to sort of reformulate what I think about lots of things because 
he is a living human being who has real thoughts and concerns and things that I'm concerned about, he's concerned about too. And he's not just a, a thing on a page that is an abstract position. So I think that's incredibly important. Listen to understand. Don't listen to belittle. And if you don't understand, if you walk away from someone thinking, man, that guy's crazy, that's the person you need to listen to even more. And so I would totally agree with what Todd has said, of course. Um, and I would just emphasize that for for others who are have individuals in their lives that they uh, are struggling with to try to, uh, how could you possibly believe what you believe? How could you think the way you, you think? To go into conversations with those individuals, to not shy away from them if they can, at least initially. Uh, and, but But the purpose of the conversation is to seek to understand, which is what, which is what Todd has said. Um, not to try to uh, win an argument. Uh, that that is, is not the purpose of these kinds of conversations. It's to understand. And to understand is a process. To understand takes time. And so the issue of where you disagree maybe ought not even come up initially. At least if it, you need to make sure that you're establishing that that love, that friendship, that relationship as being the top priority, which comes from understanding. I really want to understand how you think. I love and respect you, and I want to understand. And if it's in that, if it's done in that context, as time goes by, you can approach the differences that you have. And if it seems appropriate at that point to 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 actually address those differences and seek to um, seek to say, here's how I think. Now, that's going to emerge eventually, but it emerges in the context of love and friendship. And I have been in, involved in conversations similarly, uh, similar conversations through the years, and, and it, it seems to me, uh, and I'd like to hear your comments on, on this, that uh, just identifying where the, agree the disagreements really are. Yes. Sometimes we find out that the disagreement is not in the area I thought, but it is somewhere else. Uh, you do, after all of your conversations and all your interactions, you do still have principled disagreements. Um, Dr. Wood, where would you say at the end of the day you recognize these are the areas of disagreement that I have with uh, Daryl? And then, Daryl, I'll ask the similar question to you. You say, these, these are the areas at the end of the day, I love my brother, but we, it, it's good for us to recognize we're just going to agree to disagree on this. Where would that be at? I don't think we agree to disagree. But yeah. I'll get back to that in a okay. second. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, uh, everything. Uh, there's so I mean, not everything, everything, but there's a lot that we disagree on. I mean, fundamentally, the way we ought to read Genesis 1 through 11 and other references to creation in Scripture, Paul's discussion of the last Adam and Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15 and so forth. Um what the flood is, what the what the Tower of Babel was, um, the Garden of Eden, the, the the temptation, the fall, Cain and Abel, the six days of creation, and so forth. These are all fundamental differences that we have, and that doesn't even get to the sciencey stuff. So the science, then, obviously, you know, I'm looking at the whole package of faith and scripture and science and thinking, I see science in an incredibly flexible way um, that I don't think Daryl really sees 
science that way and I see what I find to be true conviction about the teachings of Scripture and the theology of the church that I that Darrell doesn't see or at least he doesn't see that it's essential and and so yeah we have we have profound deep disagreements and I feel like going down his road is is risky and dangerous and is not going to lead to uh, the, the the flourishing and the thriving of Jesus church I think it's just it's going to it's going to hurt us in the end so Dr. Falk you you love Todd in the Lord but at the end of the day you would you say to your dear brother I still disagree with you about and finish the sentence there Genesis 1 through 11 <laughs> so um, Todd, Todd and I I mean I, I don't on on the things that Todd mentioned um, we which I know a large percentage of that was Genesis 1 through 11 but it wasn't all Genesis 1 through 11 he raised Romans 5 1 Corinthians 15 we don't disagree on that he knows that I believe uh, in historical Adam and a historical fall and and uh, and so on he and so we just need to go back to we go back to Genesis one through eleven and different ways of uh, thinking about Genesis one through eleven. Um, I do believe in a historical Adam and Eve, and so um, and so it's our disagreement is on um, is on eleven chapters of the Bible and how one understands uh, the extent to which there's um, to extent to which there is some metaphorical language in Genesis one through eleven to teach us deep truths that will last through multiple cultures all down through the last 4,000 years and more. And, uh, and with that exception, we look at the Bible in very much the same way. Where we disagree profoundly is on the science, and that I think that the science basically has it right uh, it, to the extent that we don't have to listen to people like Richard Dawkins who pontificate on uh, on his own personal philosophy that comes through in his writings, or Daniel Dennett, or all of these uh, new atheists. Um, they are not speaking as biologists when they do that. And so from the perspective of mainstream biology, um, we probably profoundly disagree about that, but uh, not on the Bible, except for Genesis 1 through 11. So. I, and 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 I've heard you affirm a historical Adam on on more than one occasion, uh, Dr. Falk. What models of 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 a historical Adam do you find attractive? Are plausible? What what way do you understand the historicity of Adam and Eve? Well, from the scientific perspective, uh, as long as what we would allow for the possibility of of uh, individuals outside of the garden. Uh, contributing to our genetic makeup uh, in the way that uh, Joshua Swamidas, for example, has uh, indicated in his book, The Genealogical Adam. Uh, uh, that's completely, Josh has summarized science, I think, really well. And so from the scientific perspective, as long as what the, the scientific data would suggest very strongly that there was never a time when, most likely never a time in those early years when there were just two people on the earth. And so thereby we would say, and, and furthermore science would say that uh, common descent, that all individuals uh, have uh, descended from uh, other primates, that, that that's part of our heritage. And so that's what the science says. And so that means that leaves room then for a historical Adam and Eve 
marriage mate, mating taking place in some way outside of the garden as time went by. And, uh, and then it becomes a theological issue. As long as what we allow for common descent and as long as what we allow for individuals outside the garden, then, it, then it's a theological issue at that point. So, uh, Dr. Wood, you heard his affirmation of a historical Adam, uh, and you, you, you indicated that you find his interpretation of Genesis 1 through 11 uh, problematic. He has responded that he finds your interpretation of some of the scientific evidence problematic, uh, I'm especially uh, the evidences of the deep age of the earth and the, and the de- even deeper age of the universe, uh, what has been the way that you have approached those kinds of perennial questions that come up again and again, and then also some of the genetic uh, uh, arguments? How, how, how have you, in that, your interaction with Dr. Uh, Falk, uh, engaged in those kinds of issues? Well, the f- first place, um, reminding myself of what science is all about. And I guess perhaps I have an unusual perspective as a biochemist because I deal with, I dealt with in my discipline things that could not be directly observed, right? So you could not, at the time, see proteins and enzymes and things like that. This was not accessible. And so we had to build models based on indirect evidence, which is essentially what we're doing in any sort of forensic study where we're trying to reconstruct an origin, right? Mm -hmm. And yes, there are plenty of models that seem very compelling and persuasive. Uh, And yet, in biochemistry, it was not uncommon to have one model that everyone knew must be right to be sort of overturned because we've learned something new. We've learned something really different about the cell or about chemistry, and now we know that's not going to work. That model's not going to work. And so for me, the most compelling part of, of being a young age creationist is the open field of, of study, right? So it's not that we don't have answers to these things. It's that in many cases, we don't have a complete answer, or we don't have the final answer, or we don't have one answer. In case of cosmogony, we have lots of competing cosmogonies, none of which seems to have captured the attention and uh, and support of all creationists, but we have other cosmogonies. We have, uh, and we're working on approaches to radiometric dating in the age of the Earth, and I'm seeing really interesting results coming out of that. And I'm working myself with um, human origins now, that's become my thing over the past 10 years, my main focus, and we're looking at what does the fossil record mean? What do what does genomes mean? How do they relate? And um, so it's not that I have no explanation. I have lots of explanations, and there's fruitful research going on, which strikes me as a really important issue. If we were so utterly wrong, why do we keep finding things that work really well and end up being very surprising for a conventional model? I just find that very strange. Turning back to uh, some of the areas of agreement, I have heard both of you express your concern and passion for uh, preparing young people who are interested in going into the STEM fields so that they might be ready because 
to be quite blunt, we've seen some spiritual casualties. Uh, so would you express your concerns and your hopes in that area uh, about uh, how might a young person be ready who wants to, let's say, do a PhD in biochemistry or some, uh, some field that is going to put him or her uh, in an arena in which there may be very few believers and very little support. Uh, talk to us about that. By far the most important thing, I think, is that uh, the individuals have a, a support group. And I don't mean by that a support, a scientific support group uh, that necessarily all think a particular way scientifically. And, and certainly I, I mean by that including my view on evolutionary creation. I mean a support group of individuals who love Jesus and want to follow Jesus with all of their hearts. And so as they proceed into the uh, into the what is a uh, often a very lonely life uh, where they may not find very many other Christians uh, within their, let's say they're studying in a department of biology or depart department of evolutionary biology or a department of developmental biology. Uh, where they may not know anyone else who's a Christian, as long as what they have a support group of individuals who are praying for them and who are loving them and are caring for them, uh, that's the most important piece of advice that I could give. Make sure you've got a support, a support group. Dr. Wood. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, that was the first thing that came to my mind. I, I remember as a grad student, um, that first year transitioning from a Christian school where everybody thought Christianly about things to a secular school where that never came up. That was a it was a culture shock, but it was also, uh, you know, I left behind all my friends. I made friends, and we lived together in the dorms, and now we don't, and now I, I don't have friends anymore, or at least not like I had at college. And, and I remember I was a member of Wayne Hills Baptist Church in Waynesboro, Virginia, a good Southern Baptist church, and... That church loved me and took care of me. And in, I think, many respects, they are one of the reasons that I stayed in school. I remember a particularly discouraging month of the first semester and thinking to myself, well, I can't just leave. I can't just quit because God put me in that church for a reason, and I need to stick around and find out what that is. And so thank you, Wayne Hills Baptist Church. And you kids out there thinking about going into science, that's exactly right. You need, you cannot do this alone. Do not think that this is something that you can just lone ranger your way through. That is profoundly mistaken. You need to be a part of a, a, a Christian community, no matter what kind of beliefs on origins they may have. You need to have people around you that can encourage you and and be the hands of Jesus to you in your life. And I would just like to add to that, um, as Todd was speaking about a particular church, um, I would like to add to that the context of uh, my experience as a beginning professor. And, uh, and the key for me was a church called Emmanuel Church of the Nazarene in Syracuse, New York. And if it hadn't been for that church, um, as I was a beginning professor, and the fact that they loved me and, and my family, I had two two girls at that point, four and six beginning as we began. And, um, and if it hadn't been for that church loving me and my family at that stage when we were lonely and needed to be loved, um, I don't know what would have happened. That church was Jesus to us. 
And, and if it hadn't been for that church and the fact, I might add to this, and that is that um, I don't remember it ever coming up in those early years. I was a professor, beginning professor at a, at a secular university, and I don't remember them ever coming to me and asking me to give my views on evolution. Um, I was, that was beside the point. It was a minor point. I was a part of this church. I was loved for who I was as a Christian believer. And the issue of where we disagreed, it didn't need to come up. It wasn't important. They, they probably knew what I thought, but they didn't make it an issue. And I am so grateful for that. Well, I am so glad to hear both of you uh, emphasize the importance of a local church and how a local church was crucial uh, to your spiritual reclamation and formation uh, during this time. And so uh, that I think that's, that's a very good word. Now let's flip that just a little bit. Uh, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary is training young men and women to, to be engaged in a local church ministry. What advice would you give to someone who's going to be a future youth minister, a college minister, a future pastor, uh, someone who is going to be ministering uh, to someone either endeavoring into, to go into the STEM field or perhaps already is uh, working as a scientist either in the academy or in some technical industry. What, word would, what, what advice would you give to, to prospective ministers? Yesterday, um, as I was uh, riding here from the airport, uh, and it's about an hour and a half drive from the airport uh, to here at the uh, seminary, I was uh, driven by a seminary student. And, um, and this person asked me about books that um, I, I would recommend. And um, I was hesitant because I, I mean, I was hesitant in the sense that I know that pastors uh, have all of these things that they need to keep track of in terms of damage relationships, in terms of uh, young people off doing drugs and all the various issues that they have to deal with. And to me, one of the, the, the big questions is, do, is there also time for a science book uh, in the midst of all of this? And, and so I kind of started to say to this person, you know, I, I appreciate your concern about this, but I also know you've got all these other things you need to be doing. And he said, no, no, I really want to understand genetics. I recognize how important that is in our society today. And, um, and so we had this wonderful conversation then about the significance of, of Christians being informed uh, in genetics. And, and so um, I am going, going to be sending him some recommended books. But here's the real point that I want to make, and that is that in the midst of all these things that young pastors have to, or pastors in general, have to be aware of and all that's going on in their lives, um, We've got some major challenges on the horizon, and so if in the midst of all of that they can, they could find a couple of, of science books that they would be at least aware of the things that we've got coming up in the next 10, 20, 30 years that are going to affect all of us as Christians, uh, then uh, I would highly recommend that they try their best to find a couple of good books uh, to be reading so that they can uh, be keeping track of what's going on. Well, let's go ahead and get recommendations from both of you. Dr. Wood, you have... Uh, your own book, and so why don't you mention it, and then what other books you might recommend? Yeah, so um, thinking back to your question there, uh, 
I, I would like to encourage pastors and people who work with young people, um, I would like to encourage them to go beyond the, the easy temptation of trying to come up with answers to all the questions, thinking that by answering the question you are going to remove the faith obstacle and allow the person to remain a Christian. So you're saying it's okay for a pastor to say, I am not a scientist. It is okay. And it is not just that, but it's okay for a scientist to say, I don't know. And we could look into that. Uh, and the research has shown that kids who don't wander away are kids who have meaningful relationships with other believers. Um, they tend to have, and obviously it's not a hard rule, but yes, that that's the, that's the general trend. So if you want um, and I think especially about Job and his three friends. And they started out so well, just sitting with him and mourning for seven days. And then they opened their mouths and ruined it all. So, yeah, if if there are hard questions and this kid in your church has really hard questions, remind them of the truth of, of Christ. Remind them that God loves them and cares about them and that you do too. And so... If you'd like to look at my book, that the the, call, the book is called The Quest, Exploring Creation's Hardest Problems. It is my 20 years of work in the young age creationist field and in the faith and science debate. And it is heavily informed by my work with Darrow. And it is, it is a, it, it's an attempt to sort of re-understand and reimagine exactly what this whole issue of creation is all about. So... I've found that many young students have been extremely excited about the book. So I would love for you guys, if you're interested in that sort of thing, check it out. You might find it very helpful. So that would be The Quest by Dr. Uh, Todd Wood. Dr. Falk, you also have a book that talks about your, in which you talk about your journey. What is the title of, of your book? That's uh, called Coming to Peace with Science. It's um, It's now... Uh, over 15 years old, so it's getting pretty old. But uh, and I hope to I hope to get back to writing a follow-up to that. Uh, that will deal with all the things that have been going on. But um, that, that's a book that was a great experience writing that. I wrote it for my students. Uh, I would recommend highly uh, the BioLogos website, and um, so BioLogos, uh, and um, the um, is that dot com or dot org? Do you remember? Uh, it's dot org. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just typing in biologus, it'll come up in Google. Yeah, but um, yeah. uh, there's there's wonderful material there. Uh, I led that organization for uh, several years as it was beginning, as it was beginning, uh, and they continue to just uh, put all sorts of wonderful material on the on the website. And so, for for just spending a little time there from t- from every now and then and looking at what's going on, I think it's very helpful. Um, I, I would go on a little bit and um, and and mention a few other books if I could. Um, uh, books that I'm reading uh, right now or books that I have read, I certainly I still think Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, is a really important book for a young, for a, a, a say, a, a um, pastor, a youth pastor to be aware of. And, and there's a, a new book. I don't know if you have read this, Ken, or not, but the book by Rebecca uh, McLaughlin, Confronting Christianity, uh, 12 Hard Questions uh, for the World's Largest uh, Religion. And uh, I consider this to be up there with Tim Keller's book, and it's um, it just it has Excellent. just come out. It's Excellent. a really fine book uh, from the apologetics perspective. 
Dr. Wood, uh, what website, what book might you recommend in addition to your own? Um, websites, I would say um, our own coresci.org, C-O-R-E-S-C-I.org. We do not have a lot of articles there. We don't really, that's not really our focus at Core, Core Academy. We're more of a personal ministry. Um, so I would actually recommend coming to one of our events, and we have a number of them throughout the year. You'll find a calendar there. Uh, books that I recommend, um, I would suggest you pick up a copy of The New Creationism by Paul Garner, um, which will give you, it's 10 years old, it's also fairly old, but it will give you a sense of what's actually going on in modern the modern world of creationism, which is probably a lot different than the stuff you learned about in the 60s or the 80s. Um, there's been a lot of progress made, and I think people are pretty surprised sometimes when they find out where creationism really is now. So what would you say, what are you currently reading yourself? <laughs> Am I currently reading myself? I am reading uh, several 4th and 5th century commentaries on the book of Genesis, uh, particularly one by Cyril of Alexandria and another by a guy named Didymus the Blind. And this is mostly because I am interested in exploring how the church has understood Genesis. One of the common arguments that I hear all the time is everyone wants to claim that the church fathers are on their side. Church fathers believe what I believe, and it's a lot more complicated than that. Uh, that's 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 what that's a mild way of putting it. Yeah, Doctor Falk, what are you reading? Um, so I try my best to uh, to read some theology uh, in addition to my science reading, and I just think it's my responsibility. It's uh, something I terrifically enjoy, anyways. But uh, so I, I read. Um, uh, I'm, right now, I j I'm reading the book *The Crucifixion* by Fleming Rutledge. I don't know if you're familiar yes, with that, but I just yes. think it's a wonderful book. And uh, and then I mentioned Rebecca McLaughlin's book, which I just finished. I'm also reading right now *The Believing Primate* uh, by Jeff Schloss and uh, Michael Murray, and uh, and uh, it's a scholarly book with a whole lot of. Uh, uh, individual authors, including Alvin, Alvin Plantinga, for example, a wonderful, wonderful book that I had not read, even though it's 10 years since that book came out. And uh, so I'm reading that. Uh, I would also recommend, however, that, that and I, I mentioned this to the person who, the person who drove me yesterday, that I said, well, you know, I, I would also recommend probably some uh, books that were not written by Christians, just so you can be aware of what's going on out there. And so I, need, I really need to read those two. And, um, and so Hacking Darwin by uh, Jamie Metzl um, tells you um, what's going on, what, the, what's uh, on the horizon. Uh, I think does it, so it's a scary book, but we need to be aware of that. Homo Deus by Yuval Harari, scary book. We need to be aware of it. Steven Pinker, Enlightenment Now. Christians need to be reading these kinds of books too so they can respond to them. Uh, all three of these books are by non-theists, atheists, um, I would assume. I'm not sure about Jamie Metzl, but I'm sure he must be. I, I, I shouldn't say that. Um, uh, so uh, I recommend that Christians be aware of those kind, that kind of material as well. Those are three very, very challenging books. I've read the last two that you mentioned, and, mm -hmm. and you're absolutely right. If one wants to get an idea, uh, they're not for the faint of heart. No. Yes, but it is good. And I do think that the two of you have made a very good point that the church needs to be engaged. God has not given us a spirit of fear that we must be willing uh, to 
to face the challenges that the present age uh, confronts us with, and we should do so with confidence, knowing that the God who created the heavens and the earth is the one who's revealed himself to us in his word and through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been talking to Daryl Falk and Todd Wood, uh, authors of the book, The Fool and the Heretic. I encourage you to pick up a copy. I think you'll find it very helpful.